Um, All about that blade, about that blade, no, no mallet. mallet. <laughs> <laughs> See, that puts you in a good mood. It does. <laughs> That's it. A perfect mood to start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This is No Putts Given, episode number 75. And the main question we're addressing today is how long can Titleist hang on to the number one spot in the golf ball world? We've got Tony, Harry, and Chris here to break it down. But guys, some couple orders of business first. Uh, number one is Matt. Happy birthday. He's behind the scenes making sure that we all look and sound great, but it's a big happy Woo-hoo. birthday to Matt. Happy birthday, Matt. Woo, Matt, yeah, boo. I don't even know how old Matt is. How old, how old is Matt? Ooh, should we guess or is that rude? Matt is 32 years young. That wasn't much of a game. Thanks, Harry. Yeah. You're welcome. That game <laughs> Straight to the point here on my golf five. Moving on then, um, we do have some new testing that we've released this week, the first of which is blade putters. So Harry, can you break it down, the top five best blade putters in 2021? All right, well, I'm going to do top four and best value. How about okay. that? Yeah, I'll All take right. it. All right, best value is the Tommy Armour Impact number two. It did really well this year. It was best performing putter from five feet. If you're looking for some stability in that five-foot zone, that is the putter for you. Going on to four, you've got your ping answer four. I putted with this, and it's a very soft-feeling putter. I really enjoyed it, and it was amongst the leaders for strokes gained at 20 feet. Uh, If you go to third place, you've got one that you've already seen before, and that's the Scotty Cameron Special Select Square Back 2, which won in 2020 and is a very strong contender for the 2021 lineup. Runner-up is again Tommy Armour Impact number two wide. It is one of those putters that just did fantastic across all boards, but really shone in the uh, five-foot category. And then the winner of the 2021 blade test is Odyssey White OG number one with the Stroke Lab shaft in it. And it was impressive. That was to say the least. What made it impressive? It was a positive strokes gained in all three distances. And the majority of the testers ranked highly in subjective feedback in all categories. So it's one of those putters that is good across all boards. There, it's just it's just hard to say anything bad about that putter <laughs> period in, for looking at the data. Any new trends for 2021 that you saw coming out of blade putter testing this year, Harry? I wouldn't say trends. Per se, it was more of uh, you've got your you got your face balance, you got your toe hang, you've got your severe toe hang putters out there, and it's going to fit differently based on stroke type. But I, w- I will say that we did fit. We had options to fit based on stroke type, so we we made it optimized for each tester. So that was ah. I put that in there too. You bring up my next question. I wanted to breach the subject of putter fitting because we talk about fitting quite often, but putter fitting specifically isn't something we often get into. And Tony, I've got two studies that you did in um, conjunction with Ping a number of years ago, but the information is still relevant. I wanted to jump into how golfers can benefit from a putter fitting and how do they know they're going to the right place and getting the right type of fitting. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, putter fitting is 
like any other club fitting except typically harder to find yeah i would say that uh, especially too when you get into if you think about like modern iron fitting driver fitting all that stuff right every everything has a launch monitor attached to it or you know most reputable places for sure and so you're able to just you know pick up a whole bunch of, of data points to tell you what's what's really happening it's that's fewer and far between with with putter testing. Not not every place has a has a Quintec or a, even is you know setting up their foresight for putting or whatever it happens to be or using even TrackMan and FlightScope have putting capabilities now. But not everybody's using those to those potential. You don't you don't typically see the certainly at a big box location where the majority of golf clubs are bought. You you typically don't see those those putter fitting tools. So. <laughs> where you go is tough for sure and and like you, you sort of really really want to want to be put for uh fit for a putter and then you got to find a place that can do it and that's uh that's hard from within that i mean it's it, it is a lot like driver fitting you're just trying to see what works and and trying to understand why certain certain designs are working for for certain golfers and so you know, as, as with a driver, any other club, it's, it's factors like weight. It's, it's with a putter, it's alignment aids can make a difference. The toe hang, right. Whether it's face balanced or, or for a strong arc, things like that invariably can make a difference, but like any other fitting, right. No universal truths. So you, you really have to experience it. And we know that most golfers won't, and they're just going to walk into a shop. They're going to roll 10 putts with a few different ones. And whichever one they feel like is is going in most often is going to be the one they Which buy. is funny because if you go to these kind of big, good stores, like a, I, I'm not going to na- mention any names, but the patent green kind of slopes towards the hole as well. Oh, I made all 10. Great. Sweet. <laughs> I'm going to get all putters here. It's like the opposite opposite of the carnival games where it like filters away, like it's yeah, impossible. Exactly. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question about this. So the you said the winner was white hot OG, right? Yeah, with Stroke Lab. This OG white hot insert. Are we just skipping over the fact that like this is like how many year old technology? Like on the face insert part, like this is the OG. So we've had all these iterations, you know, micro hinge, and then obviously we haven't seen a whole lot from the Toulon design component of that kind of tour milled type thing that was you know kind of supposed to go up against scotty and and some of these uh you know finer milled putters or whatever but this is basically like the og right like the original white hot insert from however many years ago and now it's performing clearly as good if not better than everything else on the market in the blade category and i mean is this callaway going back to the well going hey this worked really well before is it is it out of ideas like hey we can't do anything better we're going to go back to this or or are we saying that the best face technology is really decades old i wouldn't say that it is exactly the same because you have a shaft in there that wasn't in there previously so face technology is one question but does does the shaft really help this putter out and is it all the shaft mm-hmm. or is it the is it the face we we have no way of saying that but we did test the stroke lab um shaft versus non-stroke lab shaft which we'll be writing a really cool article on that coming up uh this year this year <laughs> this year 2021 See, I don't even know what bloody year it is. It's one of those years. Uh, <laughs> Definitely, gonna, at some point this year, we will write at that. At some point. At some point this year, we will write it. Um, but it is a really cool little study that we can use as a lab. And yes, 
the stroke lab outperformed just a normal shaft that you could see in any putter. Is there something in that? There clearly is, but it, it might not yeah. be just the old face that you see. It might be just the shaft too. I just think it's interesting, like in that top, uh, that top five, you know, uh, that kind of list there, right? Where are we seeing an absence of groove technology in that top five, 10 list? Are we seeing trends in different inserts? Like I said, number one is going way back. Number two is basically a $150 more budget-friendly option, Tommy Armour, that even though people probably should have more an appreciation for how those products are designed and engineered and whatever, it's, it's not necessarily the same household name as a Cameron or a Ping or an Odyssey. Um, and then, yeah, we do in that third, fourth spot, you get to Cameron and you get to Ping, but um, it seems to me that there's kind of a shift going on here, possibly. Potentially, yeah. You do see a little bit of a shift here and there. We do. The only thing about it is we do not know what's behind that face. Graphene. Graphene <laughs> is behind the face. But we know, I, I know for a fact that there are a couple of putters out there and they're older that have hit the USGA list and they told the USGA that this but actually behind the scenes, when you cut it open, it is, it is not what USGA would, would approve. So I know there is stuff out there. What this. do you mean? Like, be specific. Like, what, like, they, you're telling me people, manufacturers are lying to the USGA to get stuff around their it rules is, and is, things? I or? mean, I, I don't think it's common. It it's not happened. common, but it happens. And I, I certainly, I mean, Odyssey's not going to be doing that. No. At all. I think it's just my, a case my premise. Of, my premise was we don't officially know unless you cut that baby open and see what's behind that face it could well be there's some some, some technology behind that likelihood is probably not but you can't rule it out as, as all my all i'm saying you know yeah. yeah yeah i mean look it's it's a it's an insert that worked really well yep yeah and it's an insert that that people loved years ago right and so why not why not bring it back the technology is still as as good now as it was then and i think with a putter we know things like like groove designs can can help, and you know there's probably an argument to be made that a lot of the reasons why you've seen uh, a good bit of the groove technology depart the market um, across a few different manufacturers' lines is is for legal and, and patent reasons, right? There's, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. that's that's a real thing that happens, and so yeah, I think I think it makes sense to go back to a well that works, and if if you can design a putter that that guys deliver consistently and are able to, for whatever reason, align where it needs to be pointed at impact, you can get good results. And I think, I think that's what we, you know, we, we saw in this case. And I think yeah. if we fast forward to next year and then the year after that, and it's still popping up like this, I think, yeah, we can safely say that the, the face technology could potentially be getting overridden by old school technology, but you don't know. Yeah. It'll change. I mean, it's there'll be something new and better and more exciting next year, and who knows? A, a decade from now, maybe we'll see you know the OG white hot return. Right. Uh, everything is cyclical, especially in a club like a putter, where the room for technology is 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 small. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and so ultimately, it's yeah, it's it's hey, can I can I align this thing properly? Can I deliver it consistently? And I think that yeah. that consistent delivery piece is is perhaps where the the stroke lab shaft came into play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say for sure without really digging into to some things and, and seeing what's out there. But again, at, at the end of the day, it's a, a putter is about as simple as it gets. 
Uh, there's not a lot of variety in the market, right? Miranda asked about trends. The, the trend is that <laughs> it's the same damn shapes as, as last year and, and the year before that. The only trend that you might be seeing is in the grip. Right. And the grip is... is, is yeah, I mean, yeah, it's super stroke. And it's either a pistol, fat, or schmedium. And there, I mean, you've got, you've got even rolls, uh, midlock grip, um, but that's for a different audience. I mean, that's the kind of thing that the, those things come and go, right? And they'll be, they'll be the next hot grip next year, potentially. But the only thing you can, and it's, you know, it's, it's entirely dependable is you're going to see the, the same shapes or variations on those mm -hmm. shapes over and over and over again, not only because they're proven to work, especially in the blade category, golfers are right. really not interested in, in anything else but those shapes. So yeah. it's not going to be radical design. You're not going to see anything crazy. It's yeah, it just is what it is. Well, Tony, you mentioned the blade category specifically. In a couple of weeks, we'll have mallets out. But what yes. kind of <laughs> what kind of putter would play a blade specifically? Is there a certain type? This really gets interesting in the mallet conversation a little bit more. So there are some that will tell you that that given given how mallets have evolved so once upon a time right mallets were almost exclusively face balanced so mm -hmm. if you had a straight back straight through stroke which a lot of people think they have very few golfers actually do have yeah. then then mallets were really good fit for you but now we're seeing through hosel designs and some tweaks in the weighting these kind of slight arc mallets and even strong arc mallets so you're able to fit more golfers into mallets and the argument there is they're more forgiving blades lower moi less forgiving I'm at the extreme end of the spectrum. I'm a really strong art guy. So I can look at any putter lineup and basically say, all right, which one of these fits the strongest art golfer? And that that's going to be the one that's that's for me. And this has been, you know, I've gone through a handful of putter fittings now where this has proven to be the case. So it's pretty reliable for me. So on the extreme end of things, you're probably going to have to lose the forgiveness and, and find a, a putter that's not going to kind of fight you with a stroke. But you know, for for most people, a mallet, we're getting to the point where mallets are probably going to be better. Well, look at the top 10, 15 players in the on the PGA Tour, right? Or look, you know, I would imagine if you look at strokes gained, my guess, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I get my guess is you're going to see over 50% for sure of the best, uh, you know, the best putters on the highest tour in the world use mallet putters, not blade putters. And I wonder... You know, again, if that's a trend, if that's a shift, or who I know we saw Rory last week kind of go back to a blade style putter. He's obviously been in kind of that. Uh, what did you call it, Harry? The tweak mode, uh, the tweak period, where yeah, you know, kind of <laughs> figuring some stuff out. He obviously isn't where he wants to be with his putter, so he's kind of searching. But look at the guys that are in the very top for strokes gained, and I think you'll see an overwhelming majority of them using mallet putters which just makes me wonder because when i think about some of the best putters of all time i don't associate them with mallet putters the tour is cyclical too though right i had yeah. one of my buddies at a, at a golf company you know he's a senior level guy he was like who basically said look if if one week on the pga tour some guy put some weird blue putter into his bag and and happened to win the tournament i'd have half a dozen guys looking for blue putters it's so there, there's still that same kind of mentality, even at the pro level that's, that's most amateurs have where, Hey, if right. this works for somebody else, it, it may work for me. And so I think the, the kind of the trend, right. Guys started to have a little bit of success with mallets. I think Taylor made spider 
is probably you, know, you could trace some of the the modern growth in the mallet category to the, the success guys had with that and so jason day specifically yeah yeah invariably golfers are, are going to follow the trend of, of what is working for guys on tour so i would say right. i would say that's only prevalent in the putter space if it comes to irons and drivers it's more to done with marketing with the oems correct well they're locked into contracts right so if a guy wins with TaylorMade, everybody right. on a titleless yeah. contract can't go yeah that's that's what i'm saying but you do see it in the shaft space where if, if somebody wins with a new shaft everybody's like all right let me let me try that let's let's give that a go i i wouldn't be at all surprised if somebody told me that the better players on uh the professional level more of them are using mallets now as opposed to the past and sticking with it I mean, that that has to be true. I mean, just certainly if you look, I mean, Callaway's, their big push in the putter space this year is what their their new number 10 putter, I think. That's, the two ball 10. Yeah. Guy that's, yeah. It's, it's all over social media. So that's that's kind of what the companies are pushing. But but again, I, I, I think for most golfers, mallets are likely to be better. Everything, every, everything in fitting is a probability until it's, you know, until it goes into your it's bag. It's all theoretical. To, yeah, right, yeah. but. Yeah, I think the blade space is the functionality of a blade is is narrower in terms of you know forgiveness and things like that. Chris, you touched mm-hmm. on it. Tony, you've touched on it that there are a number of things that influence what players buy in terms of putters. One of them being what's played on tour. The second is their assumed stroke type, and we're assuming that they have their stroke type correct when they're going to go buy a putter. But again, Tony, I'm looking at this study that you did with Ping. And one Ping of the, did the study. We wrote it. That's all. Okay. <laughs> the, the, Ping, this, the study you wrote about that Ping did, um, their con- one of their conclusions was that 16 out of 20 golfers that participated in this study needed a change in stroke type. So that's far beyond the vast majority had their stroke type wrong. Yeah, 80%. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I mean, that's something we talked about, right? This idea that that most golfers and specifically most believed they had or were fit into straight back, straight through putters, kind of those those face balance, typically mallet designs. That's what a lot of golfers, many golfers, the majority of golfers probably still believe that they're straight back, straight through. And what we're learning is no, most, most golfers have, have slight to moderate arcs. And so you know, from a fitting perspective, the probability, right? No absolutes here, but the probability is that that golfer is going to fit into a different type of putter than he thinks he fits into. It's a, it's a double-edged sword. You, you wouldn't get fit, but there isn't many fitters. Your whole body, your whole stroke is changing and evolving as you do, as you age. If you, if you went for a test 10 years ago, I always, I always remember this. Pro said, I don't need to be fit because I got fit 10 years ago and I know what my stroke type is. His eyes have changed. His putting has changed. Now his stroke has changed. So I guarantee if he went and got, if he was face back, straight back, straight through when he went to the test uh, and evaluation on his stroke, he's nowhere near that anymore. Your golf swing changes. It doesn't always stay stagnant. It, it's, it's evolving slightly, whether it's a little from swing to swing, man. <laughs> it is, exactly. <laughs> Some of us from day to day, yeah, swing to swing. And sometimes what I see in, in the testing facility here is we get them on our little device and they're out to in on one, they're straight back on another, and then they're strong on another one. So it's one of those ones where they can't deliver the same every single time because it's just not how things operate for some amateur golfers. Part of that is a fitting thing too. Like yeah, that's mm-hmm. it's it's really tough. I mean, going back and I 
I'll be honest, I don't know to what extent it's still around. Uh, they stopped making cradles, I think, for a while there. But the that, that the Ping app, once upon a time, yes. right? That was that was kind of the amazing thing where you know it would tell you what your stroke type is, would give you various consistency metrics, recommend a putter, and then you know we saw it ourselves when we went for fittings where you know changing the putter, those consistency metrics got a lot better. And so again, that's that's part of what you do with any other fitting, right? You you take something that is inconsistent and and try and find a way through through whether it's it's weighting or in the case of a driver, a shaft, whatever it happens to be. Same thing with a putter with you know whether it's an alignment aid, the the toe hang, the mm-hmm. the shape of the club, all these things and try and coerce more consistent delivery out of the golfer. And I think that that's ultimately what a yeah. good bit of fitting should be is, is really focused on, all right, let's, let's get you consistent first and then let's see if we can, we can kind of tweak some numbers as we go, but yeah. good luck with that uh, putter store near you. <laughs> the big thing in my game is I'm always trying to eliminate variables with equipment in my swing. I'm trying to get as most consistent as possible. We we want to say that the the pros are 100% dialed in. <laughs> Sometimes they are in in a round when you see them, just everything goes right. But the next round you could shoot 80. I mean, we saw that last week at the tournament. They they're dialed in, but we can tie you in as much as we can. It's you've got to do the rest. Uh, is is probably the good way to put it too. Wait, so you're meaning we have to be good at golf in order to be good at golf? <laughs> uh, yeah. There's, there's your takeaway. <laughs> Duh. We haven't even gotten to, I mean, we're talking stroke type, right, of, of arc and stuff. We haven't even gotten to uh, perceptions and how people line up putts. And vast majority of golfers probably have the wrong putter for their stroke type. And we also know the vast majority of golfers are not lined up where they think they're lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have... Um, and I think we're going to do a lab on that uh, some point, sometime this year too, right? Here, <laughs> Maybe next in year. This, Who knows? In this twelve month span, is you know, man, if you know, if you're not fit for a, you know, the stroke that 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 you currently have, and you're not lined up where you think you're lined up, it's no wonder that people in general don't get any, but you know, don't get any better. Uh, at putting or really struggle with putting because you haven't addressed those two variables and you're not going to address those two variables unless you work with somebody who knows how to fit around those and work with you around those and um or the fact about it is they know they have set up right and then subconsciously they know to set up right so they start closing the face down sure then it goes left or they they pull it on the hole and now if they fix the with the alignment and actually start pulling it left because they're still right. doing a subconscious. It's just a shit show of things that come together. <laughs> That's why I need to improve my putting because I'm a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we're going to link a couple of things here. Uh, number one being the most recent, most wanted test for blade putters in 2021. But I'm also going to give you a link to the studies that Ping conducted and Tony wrote wonderful database articles about. Um, and that will also link you to the iPing app if you want to make sure that you have your stroke type correct. And it's an introduction into fitting you into a putter. Uh, so use those as you will. And guys, the next thing I have on the roster for today, uh, Harry, how you doing? You drowning in shoes? I have been for a couple of weeks now. You should look at our putting green. There is no green space. It's just covered in shoes. Chris, what, what, are, you, what are you playing with there? Playing with Boa. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. Harry, spike shoes for the results for both men and women came out this week. Can you give us a breakdown of the best spike shoes of 2021? 
Yeah, so the uh, best men's spike shoes, I'll go for best value first. Okay. Uh, you got the Adidas or Adidas, however you want to say it, Tech Response 2.0. I mean, for 65 nugs, it is just <laughs> impressive. You get really good comfort, you get a good compact shoe, stability is decent. Yes, it has some stuff to improve on, but for $65, it is one of those ones that you you really just have to... It's worth a try. For sure. Uh, fourth place, you're looking at Adidas ZG21 Boa, which Mr. Christopher Robin has it in his hands. Um, lots of people love Boa. Some people hate it. We'd love to know what you think about it, but... I think laces are for suckers. Well, you've got too. Velcro shoes, so it's one of those ones. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm getting there. <laughs> Trying to age into Velcro. But the Adidas, the, the ZG21 did did really well. It's it's one of those shoes that fits a little bit wider. And most Adidas shoes fit tend to be a little bit narrow for, for most people, is what we've seen. Uh, but this one is a wide fit. So if you if you have a wide foot and you've never liked or never fit into Adidas before, that is this is one for you. Three is New Balance Striker 2.0. Since two years ago, the New Balance have really stepped up their game when it comes to comfort. Now it is one of the most comfiest shoes on the market. So if you're looking for comfort, New Balance is, is one for you. So the dads are on to something. <laughs> or or they've adapted more to a dad sh- the, the dads they're trying so to grab more dads. So we're all slowly becoming dads. We're potentially, getting- <laughs> but I will say I will say the the dad shoe is potentially getting a little bit younger with its style options. It's becoming more progressive. If so you dads are getting cooler. Yes, but the jokes are getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got second place Sketches Go Golf Talk Pro. Now this shoe is really good across the board the stability traction comfort is is just phenomenal they've fixed a slight issue i in my personal opinion a slight issue with the when it comes to traction um the now sole is very grippy and tacky so whatever conditions you go in the sole of it itself is going to work with the spikes that has attached to it too so you have double whammy there which you get really good traction double whammy And then the number one spot is Under Armour Hover Drive. The GTX did really well last year. And the the slight tweak on the Hover Drive, it is just a phenomenal shit. Everything about it is highly ranked. The tweak is it's phenomenal? Yes. That's a hell of a tweak. (laughs) It's a good one. It is a good one. The important thing about golf shoes and, and what Under Armour does well is you get the correct amount of lateral movement. When you have the right amount of lateral movement, you can transfer your weight correctly from toe to heel and then flip-flop it and go heel to toe on the downswing. So you need a slight bit of lateral movement because otherwise, if you were locked in, it's really hard to get to that point and it kind of locks your knees into place that little bit more, which could potentially give you an injury. So lateral movement is good. This shoe is fantastic at that. So... There's your top four plus best value. And for the ladies, this is something new we're doing this year. We're testing women's equipment as well. Uh, So how about for the ladies? Yeah, so I'm really excited to get some ladies' shoes um, out there for you. (laughs) Let's let's clarify this. You didn't try them on. 
<laughs> not just for the weekends for Harry no, anymore. No, no. I did not try them off. <laughs> let's 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 rephrase, shall we, Matt? No. I like where we are right no. now, thank you. No, I like where your head's at. I like this. <laughs> I'm very happy to start well, we have a lady tester first off. But start diving into more women's sections for bias guides. <laughs> are you saying I have a tiny feet? <laughs> we we have a lady tester. We do have a lady have tester. A lady. Why? What is going on here? Now let's clarify. Bennett has been in there. She's yes, she's she your has. feet and your hands for this one. I got the the day off, so you got somebody who is a little bit better at it than I am. So Bennett's been wearing all the shoes for you. But Harry, why don't you go ahead and break down the the top three? women's spiked shoes yeah so third place is sketches go golf jasmine this one performed pretty solid overall uh had some improvements in certain departments but overall it did pretty solid uh second place is echo biome geo 3 with echo itself they again have a, a really good amount of lateral movement for that golfer so the only interesting part about Echo, and it's just a, a note, that it's five and five and a half or six, six and a half for size. It They don't do five. They don't do five and a half. It is a separate shoe. It is five and five and a half. Oh. So you might, my if, if you're on, say, five. So they essentially don't do half sizes. Well, they do euro sizing, right? So yes. it's like a okay. like a forty. You can have a thirty-eight or thirty-nine, or like I would wear a forty-five, but that would be eleven or eleven and a half. <laughs> but it's it tends it tends okay. to fit just that little bit bigger. In your experience, in Harry's experience, uh, it's definitely it's because exactly the same concept in men's shoes as well. They just fit that tiny bit <laughs> too big, uh, and it's the same case with the with the ladies' shoes. And then you've got your number one, which is Adidas Response Bounce Two. This again, this one is exactly what it says on the tin. You feel like you're bouncing from cloud to cloud, if I will. Plus, the style is not too bad. The trend that we are seeing a little bit is the lady section is very much of colors and lifestyle kind of look, slip on, and then taking away some performance. But the top three are focused purely on performance. That was my next question. Are you seeing consistencies between men's and women's shoes that the same things that do well in the uh, men's category also do well in the women's category? I mean, that's hard to say. This is the first year we've tested ladies, so mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't really delve into that. But just looking at the shoes that we have here, a lot of the lady shoes are based on looks and not, hey, let's focus on making the best shoe possible. Yes, there are companies out there that are just performance-based. I'm not disputing that, but some of them out there, depending on what their premise is on the OEM, is more of a lifestyle brand and selling looks uh, rather than performance. You can see that. Hmm. But it's too early to see a correlation between men's and women's. All right. Well, something that they both utilize is the BOA technology, right? For, the, for some, yes. Adidas has the ZG21 for... Boa in men's and women's. Uh, I know Footjoy are doing it as well in some of their shoes. Most companies are do have one option of Boa for the most part. So Chris, I'm going to come to you because you're my golf spy's biggest Boa fan. And I'm also just now noticing your shirt. Is that animal print? Sure it is. I don't... I don't know that he's the biggest Boa fan. I think. No, you, Tony? Tony? Tony's up there. 
Oh, okay. Well, good. Good. So, yeah. so we've got two big Boa fans. I just happen to live closer <clears throat> to, to Boa's headquarters. But no, I, I would absolutely say Tony has been, been a, a proponent of Boa. I'd say you know, okay. really since the onset. Um, I think we both have. But what's, uh, so Boa's headquartered in Denver, Colorado, which is not too far from me. So chatted with them a little bit on uh, two of the shoes that made it, you know, that were in our test. I think Hyperflex, right? This was most comfortable. Correct, mm-hmm. Harry? Yes, sir. Um, so you have Hyperflex. Foot joy. And then obviously, like we said, the ZG21 uh, from Adidas. What was interesting to me and what I wanted to ask them about a little bit is kind of where are things at with Boa and why and what are we seeing? And and part of what's interesting about these two shoes is Boa has their own, and this is kind of you know right up our, our alley as a data-driven entity, is they have their own performance fit lab, um, which started a couple of years ago. But basically, it's a separate area within uh you know boa's campus where they basically do research and studies and they've been working with denver university trying to ascertain and trying to quantify performance benefits specific to different types of closure systems fancy way of saying right different way to tie your shoes or get your uh you know shoes on your feet velcro in the house yeah that's it let them know let them know um but so these are the first two shoes to uh, that have been designed based on feedback from the Performance Fit Lab. Cool. Um, and so it's something that they've been working on for a while. They just released a paper. And again, this type of research is different than, than maybe the type of research that we do in a testing environment. Some of the research that they're doing is, you know, uh, primarily for academic purposes, right, where it has to go through peer review and you know, publications in the academic community through scientific journals. Anyway, point being the uh, study they just came out with was based around specific, uh, like, agility and movement, right? So you have explosive movements, think volleyball, think tennis, think, uh, you know, cycling, trail running, these kind of things. And what they were able to quantify is that their closer uh, systems showed a 3% to 9% improvement over a variety of metrics. And this could be like contact time with the ground, energy transfer, efficiency of, you know, energy retention, and these type of things. Now, whether or not that will eventually transfer over to the golf space, I think there's a lot of room to debate that and discuss that. But uh, two things that you're going to see in these shoes that, that people may or may not notice is you've seen kind of this closure system, this kind of wrap system now where uh, you know, ultimately, uh, the shoe is now closing kind of on right on the side of your foot. And people might ask, well, why is that? Why not? Whatever the case is. And I said, think about it kind of like this, right? Like most of the time when you tie shoes, you're tying it on the top of your foot, right? And if anything, basically what you're trying to get is two pieces of material to close on something that's more of a ridge, right? So from a performance standpoint, that doesn't make much sense. What you'd want to see, right, is a closure system that's on something that's a little bit flatter and more consistent, which would be probably the lateral side of your foot, right? So you think about think about ski boots. Think about, um, you know, if you've ever been skiing and, and you don't have your boots tightly fastened or clipped where they need to be, and you can kind of feel your foot moving in your boot as you go to turn in and out of turns, it gets kind of sloppy, right? And so... Um, I mean, I was sloppy no matter where my feet were, but, you know. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of an interesting piece. Somebody, I saw somebody in the article, I think, mentioned that, oh, you should have tested or, 
you know, the Skechers one should have been up there, the Skechers whatever, whatever, Torque Twist. Well, it's funny, that's not a BOA system, you can tell. One, it doesn't say BOA on it, and two, they put it right on top of kind of where the laces would be, which is a super inefficient place to put that. I you know, really doubt that you're going to see anything from BOA be, you know, in, in the short term on kind of that tongue or midsole or kind of top area. You're going to see most of it, um, you know, kind of a wrap system laterally or... People might wonder, well, why in FootJoys do I always see them on the back? Reason is FootJoy was the heritage partner with BOA, so they were the first ones to sign on with BOA. And as such, they get this heel mount location. Nobody else can have that. I think I like it better on the back. It's it's almost less noticeable. Yeah, I mean, I think FootJoy appreciates that. They're going to, I mean, so they're the only one that can have it there as Mm -hmm. of... Right now, that's probably not going to change. So that's that's something that they um, kind of key into and hold on to. I asked. Fun fun, fun fact about FootJoy. Yeah. It's a shoes sister company. <laughs> I know. A, a so shoe, many, so many companies shoes. Well. Shoes. I love that. That's hilarious. Does right. shoes make shoes? <laughs> shoes. If you have questions on BOA stuff or thought stuff, post uh, them below. I, I mean, it's. I have a question. Yes, Miranda. That's all very scientific and datacratic, which we love, but um, 3 to 9%, do you think that laces really even need to be replaced? And if so, yeah. are we eventually going to live in a world where shoelaces are non-existent, where like I our kids won't so. even know what shoelaces are? Back to Tony's Velcro. Um, yeah, look, laces are for suckers. That that's what I took from what <laughs> the summary of what what Chris was saying about that study. Boa is really good, really easy, really efficient. At just you know, click on and and twist. You're up. The only thing that when I tested them is they do loosen up over time, so you potentially have same to as keep... same as laces, right? Yes, you have to retie your shoes. Exactly, but. Normally when I do it, I, I tighten mine up as tight as they can be. And then they loosen up to a, a area that I like. With this, I had to keep test, uh, twisting them just to keep them tight. Now, what happens if the boa breaks? Oh, really good mean? question. What, like what happens if your laces break? You go to Target and get new laces. Do you have to send your shoes back to boa to have the boa yeah. replaced? Exactly. I mean, there is a warranty. You do get them replaced, but you're without yeah, your shoes. Yeah, you're without, sure. without your shoes. So, yes. So, yes and no. I mean, it's a fair question and a fair point. My question is, do you shoot lower scores with BOA? So, here's my answer to that. I have no idea. But here's what I do, <laughs> here's what I do know. What if you put a BOA on a square-toed shoe? Well, sounds like we need to call the guy at Squares. You very well may set the course record every time you go out. Every time. <laughs> so Every time, all the time. Sex Panther. Um, I shot an 18. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So two things. Number one is we know that uh, that that there are golfers out there, right? And and I think, Harry, you mentioned this. That they want to control as many variables as possible to play and shoot the lowest scores they possibly can, right? People will dial in their equipment to the nth degree, right? You get fit for different clubs. People, uh, obviously, when you do that, you're trying to eliminate variables. You check the loft and lie on your irons, right? You're not going to play irons that are two degrees up and every iron except your nine iron, that's only one degree up, right? You want to try to control all these variables. So my question would be, why would you not try to control the two variables that are the connection points throughout the swing, being one, your hands, and two, your feet, 
right? We know a lot of people are fit for the wrong size glove. And people, ah, I can't make that big of a difference, this, that, whatever. And you say, well, geez, when you have the correct size grip or the grip that works for you and a glove that fits, people go, oh, geez, that does feel a little bit different, right? I don't think anybody would choose to play with an old, super slick glove or something like that. Why would we not have the same argument for your feet, right? People chase a tenth of a mile an hour swing speed. People chase one mile an hour of swing speed and spend $500 on it if a new driver can provide that. What if you could provide one to two miles per hour swing speed with a $150 pair of shoes? shoes. Yeah. Why Why would anybody not want to take advantage of that? That's a good point. And I know if you fit with the correct shoe size, you you can gain miles an hour on your on your goal swing because you're using the ground effectively and you're not slipping and sliding in your shoes. I right. get that. But right now I don't see any study that says BOA can give yeah. you extra miles yeah. an hour than a lace can or whatever. Correct. It's more of convenience. Right. And that's a great point. And that's where they're getting to in this performance fit lab. They're not there yet. Um, but that's an area of study. What they were able to do and quantify with agility-based movements, they are working that in a golf space specifically. So whether that's this year or the next year, you know, again, the, the burden of proof that they need in a scientific and academic environment is much different than maybe what we're used to. So sometimes these studies take quite a bit longer till they could say definitively that we can see laces are for suckers lace yeah so hypothesis <laughs> laces are for suckers abstract laces are for suckers and here's why but are they going to get there we'll see you know and and i think there's two other things to consider in that it's not just a performance from swing to swing type of factor there's also the element of what about trying to hit shots off different lies different conditions wet grass soft grass longer grass shorter grass Pine cones, deep weeds. <laughs> Are you able to transfer energy better, more efficiently and effectively in different situations? What about on the second or third day of a tournament for people that are paying, you know, playing professionally that have 54 hole and 72 hole events? How important is it to have that same efficiency in your swing on hole 16, 17 and 18 when you're coming down the stretch? Right. I think those are all areas they want to investigate and certainly want to look at. But the reality is not there yet, not there yet from a quantifiable standpoint, but I am not going to be at all surprised when they do that and they come back to Tony's premise, which is, Tony? Laces are for suckers. Boom. I think we're missing the biggest thing here. What's that? Price. Would you be paying $200 for a shoe, period? Question. Would I pay $200? In my soccer days? Yes, absolutely, I did. My thing right. is like, look, the, the things you don't skimp on in life are things you put on your feet like socks and shoes and you don't skimp on underwear. Like that's oh. like that's that's where you need to spend money. Oh, like cheap underwear is for suckers. So, yeah, I'm I'm a guy who's like, if, if I can get a, a comfortable, durable, long lasting shoe. You always have performance driven buyers and then you have preference driven buyers. And the reality is where I may want performance, somebody else may want preference, right? Somebody somebody prefers not to spend $200 on a shoe is really what it comes down to. Yeah, far more people buy golf equipment the way that we buy, you know, that I buy a pair of jeans, right? I want to ask three questions and be out the door as fast as I can, and I'll see you in three, four years. Does it fit? Does it have this? Okay, da-da-da-da-da. Great, what's the best value? Hey, it's buy two, get two free, done. Sign me up, right? But my, my wife, when she goes to buy 
products for her hair. She is not <laughs> a preference driven. <laughs> She's for, and so you're yes. going to spend that twenty, thirty, forty dollars on that shampoo, conditioner, whatever. I I see Miranda nodding because she knows. Yeah, and then right? Harry uses it, and I have to get really mad about no, it. No, yeah, because <laughs> back to Harry using the women's products. That's, <laughs> I'm that's kidding. The other, <laughs> that's it. So you're always going to have those buyers. The other thing I think that that's really worth adding to this conversation, above and beyond the fact that just on principle laces are for suckers, is that <laughs> boa versions boa versions tend to fit a little bit differently in a lot of these models. And so you know, mm-hmm. if there is a shoe you really like. And, and for whatever reason, the fit with the lace doesn't feel just right. There's a chance that the, the boa version is, is going to fit the way you want it to fit. And that works the other way, too. There are going to be shoes where you, yeah, exactly, you, yeah. you may want the boa. And as much as I believe boa is a superior system and that laces are for suckers, if the boa system doesn't fit right and the lace system does, buy the lace model. I mean, that's, that's common sense there. I've found that in testing is... The ones with like a mesh material that's a lot more easy to bend. It's just like a, it's not like a sock, basically. A boa is very, very good. Something with a more of a rigid top part upper, I lose a little bit of stability in the lower part of my midsection, if that makes sense of the foot. Well, that could be, I mean, and again, every, every bow is a little bit different how the cables are run and, and where mm-hmm. they pull. So it, it, that's, I mean, it is very much shoe to shoe. Yeah. It could be designed as well, but that's what I've just been seeing in my own testing whilst putting on these shoes, which is like 60 shoes. All right. Well, we'll table this until Boa gets further. But we're coming study. back. We will be coming back. We may I table it. It's a nice looking shoe right there. Damn it. It is a, a good looking shoe. I, you know what? I, I'm going to wear this shoe, and when they come out with a different color, I'm going to buy that color too because they're um, – I love them. They're great. But these I, – I do – I mean, I know we're not supposed to, you know, oh, who cares how the testing goes? And, you know, people are like, oh, as long as that, you know, fit my personal narrative, then I agree with it. If it didn't, then I don't. But these are damn comfortable. I'm still waiting for another freestyle. The Frogger? The Tony Frogger? Yeah, I am, yeah. The world's biggest FootJoy freestyle fan. As we're talking about shoes right now, let's, let's do an English phrase. You guys are going to yeah. laugh. Okay. An sure. English phrase to do with shoes. Okay? It doesn't have to do with the cobbler? <laughs> just, and how he, he cuts the, out the shoe pattern <laughs> with his teeth. All right. All my, all my English buddies and UK buddies over there are going to be laughing their heads off. Poo flickers. I am. I am. Poo flickers? So it sounds poo like something flickers. you flick poop with, like a pooper scooper. <laughs> oh, is it, is it the uh, is it the American, uh, the equivalent of a shit kicker? Like a, just a big chunky boot oh, like, kind of thing? No. Oh. No, so a poo flicker is a, a shoe that has a really narrow pointy end to it. So you can just get underneath and just go floop. Okay. <laughs> poo flickers. When you're walking down the pavement and you see some poo on the side, flick it off. <laughs> Why is it dead silence? It should be hilarious. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I. <laughs> Tony, would you like to talk about the Callaway Chromesoft uh, XLS? I'd love to talk about anything, anything else <laughs> other than Harry wearing women's clothes and poo flickers. Yeah, prop time, prop time. <laughs> so yeah, we have a new golf ball from Callaway. Within the Chrome Soft line, this is the Chrome Soft X LS. Uh, like the Chrome Soft X, it is not actually a soft golf ball by any reasonable, quantifiable means. Uh, super high compression or on the higher end, so about 
95 on paper. We haven't measured them to see kind of what they come in on our gauge, but that's what I've been told to expect about the same as Chrome Soft X. Key thing here, low spin golf ball. So high compression, high launch, low spin, uh, which if you've been keeping up at all, sounds a hell of a lot like the Pro V1X left dash. Uh, and to a degree, TaylorMade TP5X yep. balls in that category, essentially distance balls within the tour category. So yeah, really, really intriguing offering from Callaway for a number of reasons and, and not the least of which here is I've cut like six of these open. And so Ooh. far I haven't, I haven't found a single thing that I can, can point to, to deduct anything from. So small sample size and the balls were provided by Callaway. Um, but so far everything looks really good here. Um, so this, I think Callaway says for the better player, but Really, I think it's it's for the high spin player looking for more distance. This is going to be a really intriguing option, which to Callaway's credit is going to be a lot easier to find than the Pro V1X left dash as well. So there you go. Boom. So what is Callaway doing to differentiate themselves from what Titleist is doing in their Pro V1 line? Well, I mean, I guess if we want to talk specifically with the low spin model, the first thing is that they're actually putting it on every retail shelf <laughs> where Callaway balls are sold, which is, you know, it still befuddles me that that left dash as as good a ball as that is, as, as good as it is, it's providing things that golfers want, which is distance, primarily that it's special order or you have to go to a limited number of web retailers that, that stock it. Otherwise, you, you can't find it even if you know it exists. So you know, that's that's one plus for Callaway. And the other thing, and I mentioned this in the article, so, you know, this is the, the triple track version here. Um, I have a, a standard white and I've got a yellow triple track here as well. So three different options. And, you know, we, we know that a lot of golfers don't care necessarily about that, but kind of the baffling stat I got from, from talking to Callaway about this ball is that triple track is their biggest seller across all lines where, where it's offered. So, uh, you know, the ERC soft is triple track only. So obviously that's their biggest seller. Chrome right. soft triple track is their biggest seller. Chrome soft X triple track is their biggest seller. And so, you know, I think we can anticipate it's going to be the biggest seller with CSS LS 25 to 35% of Callaway staffers on tour every week are now playing a triple track ball. And again, this is a case where I think Titleist is, is moving at a glacial pace. Um, so this, you know, is kind of what I hinted at a couple of few weeks ago where, you know, Callaway is an opportunity to, to, to hit Titleist with things that Titleist isn't doing. And, you know, we can, we can say that patterns don't matter. And I think to a large degree, they, they probably don't from a performance standpoint, although, you know, Callaway would argue triple track does, but it, it's something that the golfers respond to. TaylorMade's had success with the picks line to the point where they can't make enough of them to meet the demand. And so, you know, for for the market to say, hey, yeah, there is a clear interest in these type of products, these, whether you want to call them alignment aids, decorative, whatever, uh, for the number one company in the golf ball market to just kind of sit back and go, hey, you know what, we, we're, we're not going to really do that right now. So that's my question, Tony. Like, what do you think, I mean, so we're seeing these two different pieces here, right? And so full disclosure, I played the, the left dash, Pro V1X left dash, and I love that ball. I swear by the ball. It's it's the longest golf ball that I think in the tour space that people don't talk about, but part of that could be because, like you said, it's, it's, it's amazing when you talk to to guys at Titleist. It's <laughs> like all the guys at Titleist that I that I talk to about the various products. They're all left dash guys. <laughs> it's it's amazing. So 
I guess so. That's my question: is, is is what do you think is really behind the reluctance to, like you said, put it on every retail shelf? Or basically, you know, if you go to a store and they have Pro V One X, they have Pro V One, right? It's not like oh, geez, they got chocolate and they don't have the vanilla, right? It's like those are always there. So what, like, what's really behind the reluctance to put that out there full throttle? Well, don't they don't they say that they they only cater to like ten percent of the golfing market? Yeah, and 10% of golfers is a lot of golfers. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a few factors, I think. One, right, the official position is it's a niche golf ball that that isn't right for a lot of golfers. And that's that's potentially true, but you have to give golfers the choice. I, I'll go back to Chrome Soft, right, not to pile it on here, but I, I don't think that that's a particularly good golf ball. Certainly not, not what it's advertised to be as a soft tour ball. It, it's not a tour ball, right? And so... You know, no. We saw in our driver test that that for higher speed players, there is a distance penalty for that. And and golfers flock to that ball anyway. And, that, you know, I'm not right. trying to put anybody down, put Callaway down. The, the fact of the matter is you, you ultimately have to let golfers make the decisions for themselves. And that that means giving them giving them the tools. Right. That's what I mentioned in the Callaway LS article is and that the tools are access to the golf ball and product knowledge. And, and Titleist has this with left dash this this really good product i think that probably fits more golfers than titleist is comfortable admitting it does right and and they're not really giving a lot of info and they're not giving easy access to the product and so i think do you, does this change that like if the ls is popular and they start to see numbers sales things like that if they start to see that ls at all starts to chip away or eat away at any part of that do you think that would be enough for them to change strategy and go, okay, let's let's put it out in more more retail accounts or more green grass accounts or you know, let's let's crank that up a little bit. I think I, I think it would be amazingly obtuse if it didn't. <laughs> because again, it's you have you have this competitive product now, right? This ball competes with left dash. And right. and again, Titleist has been reticent to put it on store shelves, widespread avail- availability. It is to me, and I and I've spoken to people in Titleist about the in this about this in the past, and it, it really just comes down to this is you know that's not what Titleist does, but right. it blows my mind that there isn't some marketing that centers around a more elegant version of Left Dash as the longest fucking golf ball on the market, right? Because that's <laughs> that's probably <laughs> right. you know I, I I think with reasonable certainty that that is an accurate statement. Uh-huh. And, you know, they, Titleist has legal hurdles to say something like that that I don't have, but I believe right. it is the longest ball in the market, and they're not saying that. Right. And so you can bet that that Callaway is going to talk about in some form or another this being their longest ball, and and TaylorMade does yeah. that with TP5X, which is all sure in that do. same category. So well, to have, Bryson, you got Bryson the Tour BX, right? Right. I mean, and so same it, type it, of messaging. How do you, how do you take the longest? Because right, golf. We, we can all talk about nuance and strokes gained and, and launch conditions and getting everything perfect. But at the end of the day, it's been proven time, time and time again that distance is what golfers want. And so it, right. it's, it's amazingly bizarre to me to bench your longest product in any given category. Yeah. And, and so that, with that being said, I think, I think Titleist has probably been racking its brain for a number of years now with what to do with Left Dash. And I think... I think the the emergence of this Callaway Chromesoft XLS changes that. I think it forces the conversation. I think it forces a response. So I wouldn't be shocked if yeah. Jan and this is crazy, but there are cycles. And so I think sure you know, maybe they do something in the fall. 
Um, but I well, think logically it, it aligns with AVX as next year as a new product. Yeah. Do yeah. you think they have a bigger fish to fry and they don't want to get into that high school debate of, hey, this is longest ball. No, this is longest ball. No, you're the longest ball. Whatever it is, maybe they just focus on quality. I don't think they're mutually exclusive, though. Yeah, I you can make a really high quality long golf That's ball. what I'm saying. And so I wonder if they, they just don't want to get into that space of that little battle. I think it's a fitting for them. It's a fitting question, right? And yeah. so, and yeah, and so there is an argument that is, hey, we're Titleist, and so we don't need to make a distance claim with our golf ball. But so, right. Tony, that then brings me to my hot seat question: that if Titleist isn't making those claims, and depending on what they do about the emergency of the XLS, do you think that that means Titleist is poised? to lose their number one spot in the golf ball realm. No way. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, uh, it's, it's a fun conversation, but this goes back. So I remember this is going on 10 years ago, my maybe first or second PGA show. I was at a, at a dinner and it was a, it was a Nike dinner and I happened to be sitting with, I won't mention any names, but you know, a guy who's been doing the equipment thing, you know, twice as long as I have, if not longer at this point, and, you know, it was, we posed a question, like, do you think anybody, because at that time, right, it, you know, Nike was still seen as this viable golf brand that was just waiting to hit its stride and become this juggernaut. So in, in hindsight, right. it seems almost laughable to think about a Nike golf ball as, you know, sort of overtaking a leadership position in the market. But, um, you know, we were talking about, hey, is when will somebody surpass Titleist as the number one ball? And he basically looked at me, he's like, not in our lifetime. And I think, I think still, I still think that's true. Callaway's market share is probably, and it's, it's dicey where you count and how you count and who reports, but it's right. realistically, it's about half of Titleist right now. And so Titleist is no in no immediate danger of becoming the number two golf brand. ChromeSoft XLS is not going to catapult Callaway beyond Titleist by any stretch. You know, it's maybe yeah. a couple points, probably only tenths of points. But it's it's just one of those little things that once things start eating into your share, it's it's like hemorrhaging, right? It gets it gets a little harder to stop the blood loss, and so. Yeah, I, I think it is one of those things that that helps advance Callaway in the golf ball category, and I think it it does it directly to at, at Titleist detriment. I think this is going to be a case where, again, knowing that not everybody knows about Left Dash, this is one where if a if a Pro V One X player decides, hey, yeah, this is a this is a high compression, high launch golf ball. That's what I like, and this really like you can think of this from a performance specification. It's like a high compression Chrome Soft to a degree. It's you know high launch, low spin, designed to go a long way. The difference is it's still going to go a long way off the driver. Golfers want that, and so I think I think this kind of kicks open a door that that mm -hmm. Callaway didn't have before in its lineup. And again, I think I think the company that runs the risk of losing to, in that conversation is Titleist, and that's again not not losing, you know tens of percentage points at a time but taking no. a little hit especially if if it doesn't respond if it continues to bench its longest ball if it continues not to offer things like alignment aids or, or patterns or things that anything that is you know dare i say fun <laughs> well and i think that's the thing is is to address those potential you know pressure points it's very very little that that title is again we're talking tweaks right he said 
offering different things. The 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 things that make Titleist the number one ball in in, in golf um, and on the tour. You look at you know we don't see this type of domination in the tour stats except for a few categories, right? Golf pride grips, eighty percent or whatever. Depending on the week and the event, you'll see that eighty percent number or something close to it pop up for Titleist ball usage on tour. I think yeah, the number is about seventy four percent. You know, a lot of that's paid, but every piece of equipment short of a grip and a shaft is paid for on the tour. Yeah, so. and we we just don't see that type of domination in in other categories. That's and true. For Titleist to add alignment feature, to add you know, like I said, different kind of uh, you know visual systems or whatever you want to call it on the ball that's not a major leap from where they are now right that would be small tweaks little things why would you fix something that's not broken to get better i'd say it is broken then if it's not as good as it can be here's the only stat that i think matters in this conversation right titleist market share in the ball category is less now than it was two years ago so right that is not broken to the degree of fallen off the map distant number two how much is it yeah how much is it different it has calmed down callaway is upwards of 20 percent on the market and again depending on whose numbers you use it you can get anywhere from 18 to 25 percent right but, you know just prior to the ball that changed the ball if you will callaway was not a double digit market share company you had you had titleist that was effectively light years ahead of <laughs> there was no number two brand is the way to think about it. There was, yeah. it was Titleist and literally everybody Everyone else, else yeah. hovering yeah. sub 10 percentage points to the market for the most part. And and yeah, and just other. It was like Titleist and then other category. <laughs> That's what he had. Depending on who had the hot ball, you know, they go up and down a little bit. And now what you've seen is Callaway just leap into this number two position. Taylor made is a solid number three. You're starting to see trends that that mirror other other equipment lines so right you know where there is a clear number one and a clear number two and you know you know who's chasing who now and that wasn't even going back to that conversation i had at the nike dinner all those years ago that wasn't a conversation right there was there was no number two and that that was a point that was brought up as well like you you can't even talk about titleist not being number one until you can figure out who number two is. And at that point, it was it really was Titleist and everybody else. And now it's Titleist and then it's Callaway. And yeah, yeah, there's a, still a lot of room between those two. And I think Callaway has a, has a lot of work to do. They have reputation rebuilding to do, especially at the tour level. Um, but yeah, like something's got to give a little bit, right? You, you, you have to adapt, I think, even if you're Titleist. And that, that doesn't mean you have to go nuts and start doing wild shit that doesn't make any sense, you know. Right. You don't, you don't have to do what Vice does and splatter paint your golf balls, for example. But you right. do but sort of need to look at the trends and go, yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know how we can settle this, the ball, this, this ball war? How can we settle this, Harry? Is you remember Anchorman? And they get all the news stations around in a circle and they just fight. Yeah. That's what they should do. And the best and the and the one that comes out on top is the number one winner. Blood is spilled. I mean, <laughs> I mean would they wear their poop scoopers or whatever? They could oh, poop scoopers. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. They could do that. Harry, are you saying ditto for the hot seat titleist hangs on to it? They're not yeah, being no, threatened at all? There's no question. I I, th I think if they're threatened. They would probably send a legal letter somehow. <laughs> no, the, no, the, 
they're not even worried about this, in my opinion. All right. Well, I think that about sums it up for today. We'll link um, Tony's Callaway Chromesoft XLS article as well as both men's and women's Spike Shoes article for you. Um, Chris, do you have an exit song for us today? We were so into our music you know, last week there, and everyone loved that show. I, we got rave reviews. People, uh, I mean... Not from me. <laughs> the, the amount of people that I decided I never want to play golf with in my life went up by about you know, 200% last week, but... <laughs> Yeah. Because you know I'm all about that blaze. About that blaze. No mallets. I'm all about that blaze. About that blaze. No mallets.